others Who keeps bringing more? I've had too many This Virginia done me off already I'm blamed for real, I might just say how I feel I'm blamed for real, I might just say how I feel Don't switch on me, I got big plans What is up everyone? Welcome to a new episode of the View from the Terminal podcast. I'm your host Jordan Zerm. It's a beautiful day in Cleveland, Ohio, but it's a bit gloomy inside the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room where the team is riding the struggle bus extra hard right now and has been for the past couple months. So I figured who better to talk to about it than a man who has covered the Cleveland Cavaliers for a long time. First locally for the Akron Beacon Journal and the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And now nationally at ESPN, it is the always excellent Brian Windhorse who was kind enough to join me on the podcast today. And fun story, when I was a senior in high school at Cleveland Heights High, shout out to the Heights, I was uh, able to shadow Brian for a handful of Cavs games for about two weeks. Got to do really cool things such as holding up a microphone to LeBron James while he gave an interview. Uh, also seeing uh, Cavs players naked in the locker room, which is always a uh, uh, Awkward and weird experience. You got to get that out of the way early. Um, so I am forever, forever grateful to Brian for um, allowing me to have that opportunity. Um, had a lot of fun. Really furthered my interest in talking about and writing about sports, which I've fortunately been able to do uh, in my post college career. So I had Brian and I to talk about everything about the Cavs, from whether our panic is justified to what is in the world is going on with Kyle Korver's foot. Is Tristan Thompson healthy? Um, and then some of the flip side stuff, like should we be as worried about the Cavs or are they just going to turn the switch on and blow everybody out of the water in the playoffs like they have done the past couple of, of years and whether Larry Sanders is someone who can legitimately contribute in the postseason and um, tons of other stuff, including the one player that, that Brian will sit down and turn on League Pass to watch, which was um, cool to hear him talk about. So plenty of stuff on the podcast with Brian as we approach the NBA playoffs. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, without further ado, here is the View from the Terminal podcast with ESPN's Brian Windhorse. Enjoy. Yeah, so I figured we'd, um, I don't know, to chat a little calves because I feel like this is such a, um, like people are freaking out, <laughs> so um, right. like more so than, I don't know, do you see, a, like, do you feel like there's a difference in the freak out that was sort of happening around, like, right around this time last year when they, you know, didn't really seem to have their stuff together compared to the freak out that's kind of happening right now? Do you, do you feel like it's, do you feel like there's more of a cause for concern this year, or do you think that it's just kind of the same Cavs going through the motions, they'll be able to, they're going to look better in the playoffs and everybody's fears will kind of be quelled, or do you think there's a little more of a, a legit concern? Well, they were getting blown out by 20 points on a regular basis last year. Yeah. So this is obviously a more worrisome situation. Um, and, you know, the other thing is I think that people are making a mistake when they say, well, they're, you know, they're just waiting to flip the switch. I don't, I don't think this is just an effort and focus issue, although that's part of it. And they've got deeper-seated issues. Um now, one of the things I think that's really bothering them is that, you know, that they have a mismatch of issues going on. So you have some players who are injured, which, you know, a lot of teams do. You have some players that are out of shape because they just haven't, they've recovered from injuries and they haven't, 
been in rhythm. That's you know J.R. Smith and Kevin Love, who are two starters. So it's not insignificant part of the team. And then you have some guys who, are, in my opinion, are worn down. I think LeBron at times is worn down, not every game, but at times he looks worn down to me. And I think he saves energy on defense, which is part of a bigger issue. And, you know, you Tristan Thompson has been the same player, you know, this year. Uh, and whether or not he's actually got a knee injury depends on who you ask, I guess. So, um, you know, it's sort of a, a bunch of things. And then you throw in there the fact that they've – they're playing a pretty challenging portion of schedule right now. So, um, you know, it's all things together. And I, I do think that the flaws that we can all see could end up being their downfall. We could be sitting here in mid to late May, and they could be on their way getting knocked out of the playoffs in the East, and we could say, well, we saw this coming for months. But I also would say that the story is not done yet. And there's a lot of time left for them to write the ship. And I do believe that they have the ingredients to write the ship. You know, they're not going to be a good defensive team. But there isn't any reason why they can't get full, they can't get healthy for what they have. And there isn't any reason why they can't get their offensive rhythm back. And there isn't any reason why they can't play slightly better defense. And LeBron is an expert at the postseason. So um, I think I think it's it's right to be worrisome. It's it's right to be uh, skeptical about whether they can do it, but it's wrong to declare that this season is, you know, has been decided. Sure. Um, and I was curious to get your thoughts on this too, um, because for his, you know, when the, when they signed Darren Williams and, and the trade for Kyle Korver, um, obviously two, two big pieces were at the time, um, you know, you felt like the Cavs really, really needed that. Obviously, the the backup point guard was a discussion all year, um, and then you know Kyle Korver was a bit of an unexpected trade. But obviously, it's hard not to get excited about somebody um, with that type of shooting prowess. But I wonder on the defensive side of the ball, um, just because Darren and Kyle. Um, at this point in their careers, I don't know if Darren was ever a good defender. I know Kyle certainly was, but he's he's older now, and um, I, I also wonder too if. You know, working these new these new guys, these older guys who maybe don't have the defensive prowess that they once had. Um, I was curious to get your thoughts on if that's played into the Cavs' kind of recent defensive woes as well as as maybe if that was a little bit overlooked. Was they're going to be great to kind of steady the ship? Um, I guess you might say, but on the defensive side of the ball, maybe there was a little bit of an overlooking of maybe just how how much they might struggle once once they became a part of this Cavs team. Well, I mean, Darren Williams is a decent defender. I mean, um, we're in the era where there's really very few good point guard defenders because of the nature of the game. Sure. Um, he was sort of middle of the pack defensive defensive wise for for point guards when the Cavs signed him, and you know he's just been okay. I mean, he's a supporting player. Um, you know, when, when I look at signings like buyout signings, if the guy helps you win one and a half playoff games, like if he has two good eight-minute stretches in a playoff series, then he's worth it. Sure. Um, so, but, you know, when it comes to just their overall philosophy, I mean, David Griffin was raised in the Phoenix Suns organization, and they are an organization that believes in offense. And if you look at the moves he's made since he became the GM, generally they've been offensive-based. Um, now, you know, Mozgov and Delvadova are guys who help defensively. And so when they left, and then he wasn't able to replace them with defensive players, um, that was a blow. You know, it's not just 
one without the one without one. It's not just like you know he made a choice there. They just weren't able to 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 um, to keep that. They just couldn't. And you know they you know the the the, the Corver thing has been interesting because Corver is poor defensively, but he's so good for this team that um, it's very strange. But they've been better with Corver and without Love than they. Um, were with Love and without Corver. And it's not always for the defense. I just think they play so much better offensively with Corver that it helps their defense because they're not, you know, in transition as much because they're making more baskets. Right. Um, you know, they're, you know, they, they have, you know, in addition to not great defensive players, they don't have good defensive habits. And that's a really important thing. Um, you know, for example, the Houston Rockets have bad defensive players, and they keep getting worse defensive players. Because like Lou Williams is one of the worst defensive players in the league, but they have better defensive habits than the Cavs do. And you know, one of the things that I that I saw all year that really irritated me um, is when the Cavs would get behind in games, their um, you know their instinct was to just try to outscore the other team to get back. You start seeing them all of a sudden play faster, and they start taking threes. And boy, a few times it's worked. It's been you know incredibly entertaining to watch. I mean, probably the quintessential, um, the two quintessential um, examples of those two games are the game in Washington where they won in overtime. Um, I think it was like 140 to 135, and the Brock had the crazy shot to force overtime. That game, they were getting toasted defensively, and they were just like, you know, we're just going to outscore them. And the other game was more recently the game in Los Angeles against the Lakers, where they were behind for most of the game, and they're like, you know what, we're just better than them, we're just going to outscore them. And that, like I said, it, it's pretty fun to watch, but it's not a, a sustainable way to play. Um, in the NBA, and especially the playoffs, if you're behind or if you're going to build a lead, you have to, the basis of it has to be defensive stops. And they just never approach the season that way. And, you know, is that Ty Lue's fault? Yes. Is that the fault of what it's like to be a defending champion when you have three all-stars? Yeah. Is that the fault of not respecting their opponents in the East, especially on many nights? Yeah. You know, that's all part of it. And, um, that all sort of builds up. But, you know, they had a lot of things going for them, too. And one thing I'll point out, you know, they're 2-1 against Washington. They're 2-1 against Boston. They're 3-0 against Toronto. Um, and granted, they didn't play most of those teams lately. But, you know, they've done pretty well against the teams that are going to be competing with them. They know what it takes. It's just a matter of whether they can re- regain health and discipline in enough time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned um, defensive habits, which kind of, transitions into what I was going to say because I wonder how much of and how much you think the Cavs offensive kind of issues um, stem from simply effort or you know how much of it is effort and how much of it is scheme I guess kind of combined I guess you know one example of that obviously they've been miserable on transition but that to me kind of feels like an, an effort thing where it's just simply getting back not watching your shot making not losing track of your guy when you're running back the other end compared to their pick and roll coverage, which I feel like has they haven't really figured out this entire season how you know how exactly they want to defend the pick and roll or just not executing how they want to defend the pick and roll. So I was curious um, from your perspective how much you think of some of the struggles they're having is simply just effort and or how much of it really kind of goes into scheme and them just struggling to kind of figure out how they want to defend people or execute it. Yeah, well, you know they have they have this grand 
issue with the switching defense because when they when they are at their absolute best offensively, it's when they have an all small lineup in there and they can they can switch on defense um, and that makes them effective and not getting destroyed in the basic version of pick and roll where you know the guy comes down the lane and just gets all the way to the rim. Um, but then they get these mismatches, and LeBron hates defending bigger players. And you know there are, there have been times where you, know, you can just see when LeBron's out there, he's got a bigger man. He just gets so frustrated because um, he really doesn't like playing that way. But that undercuts the way they're at their best, which is LeBron a power forward in small offense. So you know part of it is Ty Lue just got to juggle all those all those loose you know issues and. You know, Tyloo hasn't been given a, a team that has a, a, a really any sort of big man. You know, um, yeah, Mazov didn't play much in the postseason last year, but he did play quite a bit in regular season. So, um, you know, some of it is just um, dynamics, and and um, some of it is just that you know it's 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 hard to sell a headstrong team on um, on really being caring about defense, especially when they're so good at offense. And um, this, is, this has been something that has happened throughout the decades in the NBA. Um, we, uh, we have often seen defending champs not have a whole hell of a lot of interest in the regular season. And we've often seen teams that are great offensively uh, to just not be interested defensively. Um, you know, let's go back to the Sasha, the famous Sasha Pavlovich line on <laughs> offense. My uh, my defense is or what would you say? My defense is my offense. I think he said, and uh, that's pretty much the way that you could sum up the way the Cavs play. A lot of nights they're like, our defense is our offense, and because um, defense is hard, it's tiring, and it's boring. And when you when you're so good, uh, it can be an afterthought, and that's what's happened to this team. And so when the injuries and the inconsistency in the schedule eroded their offense. They didn't have any bedrock to rely on, and now you have what, what you have going on. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you working in a Sasha Pavlovich reference uh, into this because um, that's love Sasha. <laughs> love Sasha. Sasha, the Sasha era was great. Um, do you is the is there any chance Larry Sanders makes any sort of one? Do you think he'll even appear in any postseason games? And two, if so, do you think there's any chance he makes any sort of impact on on the Cavs as they kind of make this this postseason run? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, one of the things, you know, when I, when I talked to scouts who went to his workouts before he signed, um, their evaluation was exactly what has happened in the D-League, which is that his athleticism is still excellent. He still is, a lot of times, the best athlete on the court. Um, but his weight is down because he just hasn't been working out like at an NBA level, and his timing is off. So he, he can get pushed around by bigger players, not taller, but bulkier. And, like, he's just, you know, I mean, uh, I remember uh, the best way I can, I can sum this up was I played, I played baseball, like, competitively until I was 16 years old. And um, I was a really good uh, contact hitter. In fact, even though uh, anybody could look at me and tell me that I'd tell you that I have no speed, I was—I <laughs> often batted leadoff um, for my teams because I was—I I almost never struck out, and I never like did anything special. But I, 
and always hit for power. Well, I remember, like, I didn't play baseball for two years, and then I went to try to play a little bit, and I kept swinging and missing. I, I never swung and missed so often in my life. And I was like, D -d do I need to get my eyes checked? Well, when you haven't seen live pitching, I don't care if you're any good at baseball, you haven't seen live pitching in two years, my God, you, you lose all of your ability, all of your timing and everything. Like, I went from, you know, I could face a major league curveball and at least foul it off, to I couldn't hit a straight pitch. I, I couldn't make contact on a straight pitch. And so, like, all right, so now think about playing in the NBA. Your, your timing and your sense of the game is just going to be completely eviscerated. And you're also joining the league, not in preseason, where everybody's sort of stretching out. And you're joining midseason or, you know, late season. So, um, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was a ridiculous situation for him. So, um, and when he's gone to Canton, that's exactly what everybody in Canton has seen, is he still is explosive uh, uh, athletically. Uh, he still makes plays where you're like, wow, there's huge talent there. Um, from what I understand, his teammates really like him. He's gotten along really well with his teammates there. Um, but his timing is just a mess. So, does his timing improve uh, a little bit? And does he, all of a sudden, because of foul trouble or injury or something, get called into a game in the second round and, like, block two shots and get a put-back dunk? And then, all of a sudden, David Griffin is hailed as a genius? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a reasonable thing that could happen. Does he get deployed in garbage time in a couple of playoff games and look like he's never played NBA basketball before and gets buried on the inactive list? never to be seen until summer league. Yes, those are both possible situations. Those are both theoretically possible. You can go either way. I, I, I just don't know which, which way it will be. Yeah, for sure. You know, in a later conversation, so we'll have to chat more about your, your baseball career. It kind of sounds like you were um, Carlos Santana before Tito started batting Carlos Santana leadoff. Like, you were ahead of your time. I, um, no, I was, I was actually a competitive golfer. I was actually a better golfer. Um, uh, but I was just like, I'll never forget that. Like being, I was in this cage, like hitting for like the first time in two years, like off, you know, like, you know, the, the speed pitching. And I was just like, what, I was like, what the hell happened to me? Like, um, and I'll just, I, I always compare that people have taken like a long time off of a sport and come back. I mean, not that it's, you know, not that I, I'm anywhere near that level, but I mean, just the concept of what it was like. Right. Um, you know, just literally like being, I don't know how to play anymore. Yeah, that, um, and, you know, I was just going to say that has to be a, that's got to be a pretty weird feeling. And I imagine, um, yeah, just for, for Larry for two years off and, and coming back and yeah, trying to like just be able to do basic basketball things again that once came to you so naturally and then you don't play for two years and then all of a sudden stuff like that is, is not coming back to you as quickly as you had hoped. Yeah, I imagine that's got to be a, a weird and kind of frustrating prospect to kind of go through. Like, for example, Kobe Bryant, I, I, he's been doing some interviews in this last week because he's, you know, debuting this child, this children's show or whatever. And he said he, he hasn't really played any basketball at all since he retired. Just like, just, you know, if you put him in an NBA game this afternoon, he could probably make some shots because he's Kobe Bryant. But he, after not playing live basketball for a year, he would look like... Um, uh, he, he, he would embarrass himself. I guarantee you, because you don't, you don't 
you don't have the timing and rhythm of, of, a, of a game like that, especially at a high level, you're just not going to be the same player. Yeah. For sure. And I, I guess that kind of leads me into just like the the last couple of questions I've had about the Cavs too. But, you know, they the Cavs talk a lot about how they um, they don't like to like they don't practice a lot and they like they don't like to practice a lot. They they've they've watched more film and they they do walkthroughs and shoot arounds. But whether they don't they haven't had the time to practice or they just simply don't want to push their players and going through hard practices because again they're trying to save their their energy for the postseason and keep guys healthy that's something that Ty Lue and um, some of the guys on the team ha- have touched on and I also kind of wonder how that plays into just the overall how they've looked on the floor because you just wonder if you know if guys especially when they're adding all these new pieces and they're losing guys to injuries and they're trying to bring them back and then um, you know that practice time is is scarce whether it's because of the travel schedule or because they just don't want to do it like how how important in your opinion is being able to practice for these teams during the season especially when they have new pieces like does it make does it make a really big difference or do we kind of overrate like oh well if they just have a couple practices these guys will be you know these guys will be fine they just haven't had time to practice like how much importance do you put on kind of in-season practicing like that well I, I also think you know they have the second oldest team in the league yeah, that too. So, part of it is they just, you know, you know, old guys don't like to practice because, um, you know, when you talk to NBA players, they'll tell you about how they have to get their body, older players have to get their bodies in the position to be able to practice too. It's not just games. When some of these guys need to have treatment, you know, on bulky knees and sore ankles and, and sore backs, some of them have to go through treatment just to practice. And the fewer days that they have to, you know, basically warm themselves up to practice is, you know, is, is an advantage, you know. So, and like, and one of the things that I, that I see with them is, you know, their game plans, they're a lot of times not very extensive. So, like, let me give you an example of the Rockets game that they played about two and a half weeks ago. Sure. Um, that was a game where they got out-rebounded, offensive rebounded, like 20 to 4. And Kevin Love wasn't back yet and everything like that, but it was a the most lopsided offensive rebounding game in the NBA this season. And one of the things that happened there was, like, the, the Rockets, you know, they chuck all these threes, and they, they kept getting these long rebounds. And the, the, the players after the game were kind of like, you know what, we're not used to dealing with a team with long rebounds and everything. And it was the second night of a back-to-back and everything, but, like, you could just tell they didn't have any sort of rebounding game plan going into that game. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's probably a, other situations that you know we don't know about because we're not inside and everything. But you know, you see situations like that. And the other thing is, is that typically, um, when a team has a good practice, which doesn't happen that often for for many teams, actually, um, it's not like it's not like the Cavs. Uh, it's like you know, there's a lot of teams getting a lot of practices in, but during the regular season. Um, Historically, when a team gets a good practice in, they almost always come out sharper the next game. Um, and you know, so often in the NBA, the, the balance for regular season games is just off. Where one team will be playing their third game in four nights, and another team hasn't played in three days. You know, and you see it happen all the time. Which is why, which is another reason why I highly recommend not betting on NBA games. Um, <laughs> But um, this this year's Cavs team, it seems like when they actually have practice, 
which has only really been a, maybe a dozen times during the season, like a real practice. And what I mean by a real practice is they take their ankles and they hit each other. Right. You know, um, they have not played well coming off those games uh, or coming off those practices. So that is unusual, and I don't have an answer for why that is. But, um, you know, ultimately in the postseason, everybody's on equal footing. And I think I – think, it's easy to forget, and I see it happen every year. And for fans to forget that's totally cool. I get it. You know, fans, it's not their lives. But for people who are work in and around the league, like me, um, people forget that how different the playoffs are from regular season. Mm-hmm. And, man, they forget every year. <laughs> and... It, it just, you know, in a hundred different ways, it's just different. Now, that doesn't mean that all the Cavs' ills are going to be solved at all, you know, because you are what you are. But it also means that sometimes things that are issues in the regular season tend to be a lot different in the postseason setting. Sure. Um, do you do you think the, this this issue of rest that is kind of – reared its reared its head this year more so than than others especially when um Lou sat the big three against the Clippers and Adam Silver then kind of sent out the memo to team owners about more notice and you know consequences for not alerting them in enough time like do you do you think this rest thing is only going to get worse in terms of just reaction to it or do you think there's going to be um something's going to get worked out where this issue will be gone in a couple of years. Or do you think this is just something that's going to keep being a topic of conversation and more players are going to be resting as, as the years goes on? Cause that almost feels to me like the trend of, of where it, it might be going, even though we've heard some players this week, especially, you know, James Harden and Patrick Beverly and these guys come out and say, Oh, I'd never rest. You know, it's disgraceful to the game and all this stuff, which, you know, I, I, I kind of find to be, to be silly, but, um, I just wonder where you think this rest issue is heading and if it's going to get worse before it gets better. As a side issue, I don't understand why notice is such an important thing. I guess maybe for betting purposes. Um, the league doesn't want to anger their betters. Um, I guess that's the only thing that makes sense to me when you give notice. Because it's kind of like firing somebody. Like One of the things that you always see and you always hear is, well... You know, it's not. It's not so much that they laid me off. It's just the way they did it. Right. There's no. There is no good way to fire somebody. None. It sucks for every single situation. You know. There's. You know. If they come and sit and hold your hand and pat you on the shoulder and say, "I'm sorry, we're firing you," or if they send you a text message. Either way, it's terrible news. So I don't understand as a side little thing here why. The, the, the notice thing is such an issue. If the players aren't going to play, it still screws the game, whether you know 12 hours in advance or 12 minutes in advance. Right. It's not like the television networks can be like, oh, the entire uh, apparatus that we had planned for months to televise this game, we'll just pull up the cords and go televise the game in Milwaukee. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, I think where we have shifted gears here is We've gone from resting individual players to resting players in mass. And now you have games that would be slightly diminished turned into exhibitions um, where there's no competition whatsoever. And that's where this thing has changed from where it has been with Popovich over the years. Like when LeBron goes on a rant and says, 
Well, Popovich was doing this for years. And it's true that on the rare occasion Pop has, um, you know, like everybody remembers that one game in Miami where he sent all three guys home. But for the most part, when he's rested guys, they've been in individual cases. Mm-hmm. Um, without, he hasn't pulled all of his players at once. And that has been happening more and more now. And the, the reason teams do it is they say, well, why would, you know, if the, from the Cavs' perspective, why would we rest LeBron on Saturday and play him on Sunday uh, and rest Kyrie, play Kyrie on Saturday and rest him on Sunday? That would weaken us for two games, increase the chance of losing two games. Why don't we just sacrifice one game, get the rest out of the way for everybody, and, and play one game full strength and one game uh, down? And that makes perfect sense from the team perspective. And the other thing is that with the way the NBA is at this exact moment, and you know things will ebb and flow and change, there's only, you know, the, the stars are clustered. You know, they're clustered onto like three or four teams. And those three or four teams don't play each other that much. So as a result, you have um, fewer super high-profile games because the stars are clustered. And so when one of those games is messed up, it has a, it, it has a bigger effect on, on, on things. Sure. So um, I think all of these things are... Uh, aspects to the issue. Um, and I think what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be some sort of meeting at the middle, which is, okay, let's do something where we can satisfy the sports scientists and people who are worried about injuries and fatigue, but also remember that the purpose of the league is to entertain the fans. Sure. Uh, let's not lose sight of the business interest. Because I think everybody needs to see at the table, you know, um, you can't just say it's all about rest and player health. Because with all due respect to the players, it is not just about player health. In fact, it's about the product that they're selling. Um, if it was all about player health, then everybody would do this on the side. They would play Saturday afternoons and take the next week off while they work their day jobs. Right. And, and you know, um, because it, 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 it is, player, player health is actually not paramount. I see this thing all the time. Player health is paramount. Well, to the individual player who is worried about his knee not needing replaced at age 40, it's probably pretty damn important. But for the, for the NBA and its success as an operation, a player health is actually not paramount. <laughs> so um, not all decisions can be made at, at extreme ends. You know, business can't be paramount either because if you – if business was paramount, you would play 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and after two years, your fans would be tired and your players would all be broken. Right. You know, you can't. You know, so there's got to be moderation here, and there's and there's certain ways they can do that. One of the things that people have talked about is, um, you know, having the, the trainers be a part of the scheduling process, so that when they're putting the schedule together in July, and the trainers get a get a a schedule and they look at it like what the Cavs have just gone through this last week, this crazy schedule um, where, you know, from, from the, from the NBA business standpoint, they're like, well, we have to deliver the Cavs on Saturday for this broadcast. And then the Cavs on Thursday for this broadcast, that's what they put together the schedule now. Well, I do think it helps that the trainers would be there and say, look, this particular stretch that you scheduled for this team is unsustainable. There's no way our players will make it through this. That isn't part of the process now. So but, um, that's something that could be introduced to the process that would help it. But equally, 
when teams go there and try to plan their rest, they can say, you know what, this is a Saturday night ABC game. Maybe we should give the players off Friday or Sunday and let them play Saturday. I think both sides can find a way without being extremist to, to help the issue. Yeah. Absolutely. And that the trainer thing is interesting. You know, you guys did that, um, I think it was for the ESP and the magazine where I think it was Tom Haberstro where the guys, they pointed out like those 15 games for teams that like just because of the travel schedule or whatever they were going through that they had a um, like highest percent chance to lose that game just because it was a back to back or they traveled thousands of miles or whatever it was. And they're like 90 percent correct, like so far throughout the season. So it's always it's interesting, like, you know, how easy some of that stuff is to point out. And yet it's just so, you know, and I, I don't think it's easy for schedule makers either. Like I'm always blown away by people that make these schedules to try and, you know, all these moving parts and, you know, look ahead into, um, I was, I was a kid, but you were probably in diapers, um, you know, back in the late eighties, actually it was early nineties. Um, when, um, Paul Westhead, uh, he came up with the continuous fast break. He played at Loyola Marymount, and it was very successful. And then he, they hired him with the Denver Nuggets, and they played a, a straight continuous fast break all, all time. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Like what the Rockets are doing is, you know. Um, and one of the reasons why he did that, why he wanted to do that in Denver, was because teams were out of position in Denver. Not only were they playing in the altitude, but the way scheduling works in the NBA, teams regularly, and they do to this day, play a game on the Eastern Eastern teams, play a game on the West Coast, and then they play a game in Denver on their way back home. It literally happens a dozen or more times a year um, because the Western cities are so spread out. It's not like the East where you can say, oh, we'll play in Philadelphia on Friday, and then we'll play in New York on Sunday, on Saturday. No, in, in the Western Conference, you play at Sacramento on Friday, you play Denver on Saturday. Right. Okay? And so back then, they were catching all these teams on back-to-backs in the altitude, and part of the plan of the whole thing was to run them off the floor when they were tired. So it's not like this is a new phenomenon that there's, there's, there's spots in the schedule where teams are at a disadvantage. I mean, literally, that's part of the entire system that Paul West had you know, was trying to run in Denver, which worked for a little while, by the way. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's super interesting. We got the Nuggets got to figure out a way to get back there and just win all of their home games always. Well, I mean, that's what George Carl did. That's why George Carl wanted to play up tempo. Right. Um, you know, now everybody plays up tempo. Now it's not a, now it's not a thing at all. Now if a team says we're playing up tempo, it's like oh, you know, what, what, what's the soup of the day? But the um, you know, George Carl was trying to do this back in like two thousand eight, nine, ten, eleven. Um, you know, he, you know, he didn't, it wasn't, you know, he didn't make it up either. Doug Moe, before him, played that way in Denver. I mean, Denver's always had this, this strategic advantage of being able to mess with their opponents by playing up-tempo. So, you know, the idea that the, the schedule and, and certain conditions being uh, of factors in games, it's not like we're just now discovering it, but we are way more uh, sensitive to it year-round, and, and, and I mean, that season-long, and in all markets, not just, you know, extreme situations. Sure. 
Um, that's really interesting. Um, and, you know, last Cavs question for you, Brian, because I, I meant to ask you this earlier, um, but uh, the Kyle Korver foot thing, I know you've, you've touched on this um, in some of your, your appearances, um, like on Cleveland Radio earlier this week, but um, is, like, do the Cavs even have an idea of what's going on with his foot? Because he came back and he played that one game and said, you know, it didn't even feel right when he played then, and now he's back out again. Like, is this something, to that we should be pretty concerned about because, um, especially with the playoffs so soon that his foot is, um, you know, hurt and he may not, and the team may not be exactly sure what the injury is or what's going on. So, um, the Cavs have not exactly said officially what the issue it is with his foot. It's just, but I'm pretty sure he said that it's swelling on the outside of his foot. Okay. So there's a, ten, there's a tendon and I'm no foot ankle specialist, so please, please realize that. But there's a tendon that goes along the outside of your foot um, and then wraps underneath. And if that tendon gets inflamed, it's like very, very hard to land on your toes, which <clears throat> obviously Kyle Corbett shoots off his toes or whatever. You know, whatever. in other words, if you put pressure on your toes, which a jump shooter does, Kyle Corbett is one of the greatest jump shooters of all time, um, it causes a, a lot of discomfort and swelling. And so he's uniquely in position where it's going to be affected, you know, be bothering him. So it's kind of like uh, a bad, and, and the reason it probably is swayed is because that jumps off his toes, you know, a thousand times a day, you know. So um, that's an injury that is not an easy injury, you know, um, and it's also not one of these things where, like, it goes away and, and you know, oh, just throw some ice on it and it'll be gone in a day. Obviously, it's not. But but the thing that is so strange, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, is how important Kyle Corver is to the Cavs. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go back in um, in February when they when they played their best ball of the season and they were 9-2, and two, and the two also they pretty much sacrificed. I think they tanked one game and the other game was like the fourth game to six nights they just ran out of gas. Um, uh, you know, he was really important to them. He was playing great. He was shooting great. He was, he was uh, really causing other teams problems. Like, so, like, you know, I'm not comparing to LeBron or Kyrie, but he's pretty much proven to be a really important player. And if you want to trace back to where the Cavs sort of went south, it was when Kyle stopped playing. <laughs> now, there's a lot of other factors involved. Um, but this is a Yeah, you know, I was going to say, I when he, you know, after the first, like, it took them five, six, seven games to really figure out, you know, how to, how to play within their offense and how to, how to get his shots. But like, once he got into rhythm, there was a stretch there where, you know, I obviously don't know their offensive numbers, but it felt like they were playing some of their, some of their best basketball, especially offensively of the season. Like it really felt like that stretch when Kyle was shooting the lights out and he was shooting like over 50% for the Cavs for a while from three, I think they were, I mean, they were an offensive juggernaut even more so than they've, you know, than they had been kind of earlier in the season. So um, I think you're right. Like they, it's kind of crazy how much they're going to miss Kyle considering how short he's been here, but he was that stretch kind of made you think like, Oh, the Cavs are going to be, you know, incredible this year and then he he went out and it's it kind of hasn't been the same since then 
It'll be a um, it'll be an interesting run, that is for sure. I think there's more kind of um, at least from you know things I've I've seen on Twitter and um, just you know fans and other friends of mine that I talk to. There's definitely a um, kind of a dark cloud hanging over fan psyches right now. So it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see you know especially in the first round of the playoffs if the Cavs all of a sudden revert back to you know how they've played in the past two postseasons and everybody's fears are kind of alleviated. But I don't know, it, you know, it kind of creates more drama and more more storylines for the Cavs rather than ju- them kind of just like waltzing through the regular season and um, us having nothing to talk about. So I, so I guess in, in that sense, you know, the drama and the, although I guess to be fair, the Cavs have been kind of drama centrals ever since LeBron came back. So maybe it really isn't, maybe it really isn't any different. <laughs> um, you know, one question I just kind of wanted to ask you personally, aside from the Cavs is like, is there, um, is there one player on you know any of the any of the thirty teams that you you have really enjoyed watching this season that like you you know if you're if you're hanging out if you're not on assignment and I don't even know if you you know if you don't have to watch basketball if you do watch basketball or not but like is there a guy that um, you'd turn on league pass for or you would um, go out of your way to watch who's maybe not a, a James Harden a LeBron any of the guys that would automatically come to mind that you've kind of taken to this season? Yep, and I suggest people watch him whenever is possible and that is Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Bucks. yep um, I think he has a chance to be to succeed LeBron as the best player in the Eastern Conference I don't know if that'll be in the next two years or whatever but um, the dude is absolutely incredible um, and because we are in a season where there is some incredible statistical things going on his stats have been a little bit obscured, but the guy is just amazing. And um, the Bucks have been one of the East best teams over the last like six weeks or so. And like it's not out of the realm of possibility they could end up being the fifth seed um, and play Toronto in the first round of the playoffs. We'll see. I mean, you know, they're still a young team, and and they're injured. They, you know, their second best player has been out. Uh, you know, Chris Milton was out half the year, and then Jabari Parker flew his ACL. Right. They had terrible luck with injuries. Um, but Giannis is an absolutely breathtaking player. 
Um, he has, you know, he, he's not, you know, he doesn't have the, he's not as good as LeBron in any factors, but he's in the same genre. You know, he can play point guard or center. He is a brilliant passer, not a LeBron passer, but he's a brilliant passer. Um, and he has breathtaking athleticism and uh, is a lot like LeBron was early in his career. He just cannot shoot a lick, but he's getting better. Mm -hmm. And so he is a player that, um, <laughs> I mean, I am, I, I am, I think his future is extremely bright. I think he, he has, a, he has the type of skill set to be a most valuable player at some point. So, um, I mean, I really, there was a game earlier, I want to say it was, I want to say it was in December, maybe even late November, but um, the Warriors were there, and the Warriors won the game, because they're the Warriors, but it was a very close game, and I remember watching, and uh, Giannis was the best player on the floor for the fourth quarter of that game, and he was on the floor with Durant and Curry, Right. and he was clearly the best player. Now, does that play every night? No, but... You know, he's like 21, you know, um, you know, Curry's 28 and was, was like Durant, like 20, 29 or whatever. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, um, wow. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Giannis' future. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring him up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I've done some just small stories on him for, for Stack about just um, reading things where, you know, he's sometimes when when the bucks lose he's he's so mad that he goes and he like works out in a church gym for until like three o'clock in the morning and um, I actually just did something where um, Tyler Dorsey who plays for Oregon um, who his family has some Greek heritage and um, he played on the or he tried out for the Greek national team for the 2016 Olympics and he couldn't stop raving about you know, Giannis and how, um, Giannis, when he was going up against him in practice and all this, that he completely changed the way he played and how he looks up to Giannis and he's his mentor. And, you know, like, obviously that's, you know, they have that Greek connection, but there's also just that thing of where Giannis is starting to become this guy that, um, other players are sort of, sort of in awe of. So, which is really interesting because interesting because he is so young, but you really do see him kind of becoming this, um, yeah, like you said, like a, a superstar, like a legitimate superstar who is, um, can do a lot of incredible things that other players can't. So it's it's interesting that you kind of bring him up like that. Yeah, I mean, um, he's the type of draft pick that can change everything, and I think it, it will for the Bucks. I mean, it's that terrible luck with Jabari, and Jabari's going to miss a lot of next season. But they're going to go into that arena in 2000. Uh, 18, 19. Yeah. And when they when they go into that arena, you know, Jabari's going to be in his sixth year. I'm sorry, Giannis is going to be in his sixth year. Um, and Jabari will theoretically be, you know, a year and a half off of ACL. I mean, who knows? But they could be a uh, house of fire when they go into that new arena. So, um, you know, both them and the, and the and the Timberwolves, I feel good about their future. Of course, so good about the Timberwolves this year, and they're going to miss the playoffs. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Brian, I appreciate it, man. Are you, um, you know, we were talking about uh, travel schedules for NBA teams, but like, are you for the playoffs? Are you just like, are you flying from city to city, or do you get to stay? Like, will you be kind of 
staying with one team throughout a series? Like, are you going to be with the Cavs? Are you going to be with other teams? Like, what is your what does your schedule look like during the playoffs? You are you all over the place? Well, typically, I spend the first round doing television. Okay. Um, and then I'm with the, the Cavs, or before that, the Heat. Um, every round after that, um, as long as the Cavs are in it, I, I, I think it'll be to the finals. We'll see. <laughs> um, the last six years, it has been for LeBron. Yep. Um, but um, this year, we have a number of our reporters who um, are new parents. A couple of reporters have been brand new babies and then another one of our reporters wife is due um right near the end of the season so we have guys who can't travel in the first round the first round is obviously 16 uh, teams alive so um i may have to be assigned um to another series wherever we need help and coverage on the first round before i before i join up with the Cavs. um so uh, we'll see. I really have no idea. If you look at the if you look at the Eastern Conference right now, there's literally you have no idea what the seedings are, the seeds are going to be. Right. So, uh, literally, all eight seeds are up for grabs in one way or another. Um, so it's impossible to project. Um, and uh, that's a good thing for the NBA, probably. I'm almost certainly be on Eastern Conference series. Yeah. Well, you just you find that game on your schedule that you think you will have the greatest chance of being very tired and not being at your best. You know, you circle that game just like in the ESPN the magazine, and you just say, you know what, I'm going to lose this game. I'm taking this one off because I think that should. You I know, think I, yeah. I did this a couple of years ago, where I, where I, I, I did, um, I did do the Heat's first round because you know LeBron's first rounds have been so boring. Yes. For five years now, he hasn't, he hasn't lost them. And lost a, a first round game in four years. That's cra- and, that's uh, crazy. Actually, five years. This will be the fifth year. I mean, they may lose games, but whatever. Anyway, um, so I had a chance to go to other series, and one year I, I covered, and this is a series that, unless you're a fan of these teams, you probably don't even remember, but I got to cover the um, Memphis Grizzlies Oklahoma City Thunder series from a few years ago. Um, and they went seven games, and there were suspensions, and PED suspensions that happen in the middle of the, uh, you know, ejections and fights and um, went, went seven games. It was incredible. Um, and so, and it's been a great, you know, sometimes you get you get to go do these, like I would never otherwise have had a chance to do that. So, you know, sometimes it can be fun. Sometimes, like one year I did um, a Wizards-Raptors series where it was 4-0 Wizards. And it was just completely boring and like a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes you get, sometimes when you get assigned these first round series that are non LeBron, sometimes you get gold, sometimes you get cold, but um, it's always interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, wherever you end up um, for the first round, hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's not a dud. And um, yeah, enjoy the playoffs and enjoy the whatever run the Cavs may or may not make. And um, we will have to uh, we'll have to chat again soon. I appreciate, uh, but I appreciate the time today. All right, take it easy, man. Take All right, care. thanks, Brian. I'll talk to you later.